2: Welcome to the program. I know for a lot of you, this is a day that you're observing a holiday, but what better way to interrupt your holiday than talk about Jesus? So that's what we're here to do. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you heard in the announcement, this is the word to stand on for life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls. And answering your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart and your mind, whether it's about the Bible, what we believe as Christians or why we believe it, maybe some life circumstance that you're trying to struggle through. uh, I'll do the best that we can to to answer any questions that you have and give you an idea. By the way, that's a great time to plug our Bible study tonight in Acts chapter six. Um, We're going to talk about biblical conflict resolution uh acts chapter 6 gives us a perfect example of how to do it uh if we listen to what the lord says we do those things so we will be having our service tonight here at seven o'clock uh sunday at church of course uh, we're, we're going to be finishing romans chapter 10 uh, we're going to talk about israel and israel's place in the uh, on the world stage so all of that coming up wherever it is that you go to church um offer yourself to the Lord be available to be used be an instrument through whom God can love the unlovable Uh, be someone that God can use to minister to somebody else who's hurting don't just go to church to go but go to be the church and to let God use you in the lives of people who are hurting whatever somebody's going through you might be the one who has a solution because you've already been through it and seen the victory of God in your life so all of that going on uh, when we go to church on Sunday. Um, may the Lord bless you as you go. Uh, here's our phone numbers for your live calls and questions, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at com. Uh, Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, we want you to be safe on this cold Friday. Um, Use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button um, um, using the hands-free Features of your phone, and you'll be connected right to our studio producer. One more time, three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. A couple of things that we want to also acknowledge today is the two hundred forty second birthday of the United States Marine Corps. We have a lot of Marines in our church, and some of them look like they're two hundred forty two years of age. But but uh, thank you for your service; we appreciate it. And that leads into uh, our. Second announcement tomorrow, of course, is Veterans Day, and we need to be praying for our vets. You know, we have a lot of returning vets who are going through a lot of uh, emotional, mental, psychological, and even physical issues as a result of their service for this country. They were not asked to be dragged into these wars that our nation is divided over, but they went, and they went faithfully, they went obediently, and they went on our behalf. So... Give thanks to God for the vets. If you see a veteran, buy him or buy her lunch. Uh, Tell them how much you appreciate what they've sacrificed, what they've given up for us. Uh, And uh, I'm sure they will appreciate it. So veterans, I want to thank you, many in our church. We live in a military community. I want to thank you for your faithful service. I want to thank you uh, for doing um, some impossible things. But you did it out of the sense of duty. So thank you for that. Happy Veterans Day. Okay, let's go right to some questions that have been sent in here uh, to us. Our first one from our mobile app, this one is from Richard. It says, Are we Christians who profess to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, descendants of Abraham? I asked this question only because of the passage I read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And the idea is that um, um, the angels are our servants of God, serving us, those who will minister salvation. Um, but the idea here is that we're the children of God, and we share um, in the humanity that was shared by a Lord Um, and uh, it's it's those of us who are Abraham's descendants, spiritually speaking. So, Rich, the answer to your question uh, is yes. Uh, We are the descendants of Abraham, but not by birth or ethnicity. Uh, We're descendants by faith. Who are Abraham's descendants? Those who believe. Why? Because Genesis says that Abraham believed God, And it was credited to him, to Abraham, as righteousness or right standing with God. So we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. Jesus said, if you were, uh, if Abraham was your father speaking to the religious Jews who were trying to kill him, uh, then you would do what I tell you to do. You would follow me because Abraham spoke about me. So to be a descendant doesn't here speak at all about lineage. It doesn't speak about. Uh, Being Jewish, it speaks only and specifically about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yes, Rich, we are uh, descendants of Abraham and proud to be. You know what's interesting about Abraham? It always, to me, he's, apart from Jesus Christ, he's the most famous man who's ever lived on the face of the earth. He is the man that three of our monotheistic religions claim as the father of their faith. Obviously, the Jews, we who are Christians are Abraham's descendants. Uh, he is uh, a man who is a friend of God. But also the Muslims, of course, uh, through Ishmael, claim that um, Abraham is the father of their faith as well. A really famous man it's a good family to be in, but you've got to make sure you're in the right family. And the right family, of course, is to uh, be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Richard, thank you very much for the question. I hope that helps. Uh, Here is a question. I think Pastor Ken touched on this uh, last week, but I wanted to touch on it as well. It's an anonymous question that came in through our email inbox. And the question says, how do you handle interpersonal conflict with a fellow believer who does not want to reconcile? Now, I wasn't here to listen to what Pastor Ken um, or how he responded to this question. But because I'm talking about conflict resolution, biblical conflict resolution in part tonight, Uh, This is something that we need to do. Paul says, that as far as it depends on us, we're to make peace with everyone. Now, anonymous, it's not possible to make peace with everyone. So here's what we do. We go to them. We offer a genuine apology. If we've offended somebody, we offer an apology. If somebody has offended us, then we go to them and let them know that what they did caused us pain. And we're, we're, we're wondering how we can resolve this. We have no responsibility for the other person. I think sometimes we think if we handle interpersonal conflict uh, the way God tells us to do it, then we're going to get a reconciliation. Well, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation uh, in context, meaning helping people reconcile with God. We're to emulate that ministry of reconciliation, try to reconcile with those that that, uh, have offended us or those who have benefited by us. So what we do is we do the best we can, but it's simply not possible to reconcile with everybody because some people don't want peace. So the idea, Anonymous, is we want to be able to, at the end of the day, say, like Pilate did only with sincerity, you know, I've washed my hands of this problem, I've done everything that I could, if this person didn't want to reconcile with me, it's not on me any longer. That's what's really, really important. I think sometimes in this conflict resolution, we have to stop looking for a satisfactory result and instead be more focused on being obedient individually without regard to what the other person does or does not do. And I think we have to also be grown up enough in our faith to understand that there are just some people who we can't reconcile with. That doesn't mean we hold grudges. In fact, it would... I hope motivate us to pray even more diligently for those people, in fact, more diligently and with more frequency, but what we do is our part. That's all we can do. We do our part and then hand it over to the Lord so that He can do His. So don't expect a result. Don't expect that people are going to be happy because you want to get things resolved. If it happens, we have won a brother or a sister. But if it doesn't, we can almost feel the smile of Jesus. And I promise you, as you continue to pray for that person with the right heart, you really will experience the smile of Jesus in your life. Very important. So do the best that you can. I always wish as a pastor that people would get along. I always think of the two ladies in... Philippi, Euodia, and Sintuki. Both women served at Paul's side. Both women were loyal and faithful. Both women loved Jesus with all of their heart, and both of them loved Paul. But can you imagine the pain? Well, we can imagine it because Paul writes about it. But the pain that was in his heart for no other reason than these two women who loved Jesus and who loved him and were faithful to serve wouldn't take that next step of obedience and love and forgive one another. even reached out to the men. Loyal yoke fellow. Do whatever you can to help these women get along. They were causing division in the church. They were causing people to take sides. And all because they wouldn't sit down and hear one another out and be willing to forgive even if the other person wasn't. In conflict resolution, whether it's in a marriage or in a relationship with somebody in the church, all God needs is one person who belongs to him to start acting like him. And he will bless your obedience, but he will also use your obedience to win the other one back to him. So that's the best that we can do. We can just do whatever it is that we can do. So thank you. I hope that helps. Here's a question from our email inbox from Michael R., Pastor Ron. Good day to you, and may God continue to bless you. And Paula, thank you, Michael. He says, my question is in regards to the rapture. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says... Uh, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, I want to ask for some clarification, please. Is Paul speaking about the rapture here, or is this after the seven years of tribulation he has ended? I ask because it says we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Still alive after what, may I ask? Um, uh, There's some other questions I'll get to, Michael, but let me stop here because uh, reading this passage is essential to understanding the timing of the doctrine. You know, there are those who say that the pre-trib rapture of the church is only um, um, a century old, if that, and a man named Darby was the one who introduced it and made it popular. Um, I would, I would. Uh, that is not correct. But, but in it was Hal Lindsey uh, in the '60s with the late Great Planet Earth, where it really popularized it. It was the power that gave the Jesus uh, people movement, um, that 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 sense of Jesus's imminent return. That's when it really blew up in in the world in, in the Western culture. So. Um, um, you know, Hal Lindsey's not somebody that I can recommend, but the book really, really was used by God to light a fire. Now, the reason I bring that up is because those who say that the doctrine of the rapture, the, the, the rapture of the church, especially the pre-trib rapture of the church, is a relative new doctrine, have completely missed First Thessalonians because Paul was pre-trib. So, Michael, when he says we who are still alive and left will be caught up, what he's saying is those who are alive at the time the Lord returns for His church. Now, what they're doing here is 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 very clearly Paul taught in Thessalonica, and he was teaching them that Jesus is going to come. Not everybody's going to die, because some of us will be rescued from the great wrath to come. And Paul can't be any more clear about the fact that he expected to be alive when the church was raptured. Paul would get up every day. Now remember, he'd been to heaven, he'd seen Jesus. He'd get up every day expecting that this would be the last day. My own pastor, Pastor Chuck, uh, was so convinced Uh, Chuck Smith, for those of you who don't know, uh, he he was so convinced that the rapture of the church was going to happen in his lifetime. that I mean, it was the one thing that he focused on his entire ministry. It's part of the reason, I think, a big part of the reason that, that his ministry was so powerful and such duration. Every day he looked for the coming of the Lord. I was talking to somebody just this weekend at the pastor's comforter just this week I got all my days messed up because it feels like I'm on a weekend now um, but Pastor Chuck as he was dying it, it took some time for it to dawn on him and that he was probably going to die before the rapture he was so deeply disappointed and of course that's what happened but he expected to be alive so that's all it means now there's a little background on the, the the two letters in Thessalonica you know, Paul taught them. It was a very supernatural church birth. He was only there between three and four weeks. And um, the, the scope of doctrine that he discussed with them, the the power that God met them with, is astonishing. And when Paul had to leave, they started looking for the return of the Lord. Now some time has passed. Several years have passed the time he writes the the two letters. But the problem was that some people had already died. And the people in Thessalonica were were terrified. Well, well, what about those who died before the rapture? Did they miss out? And that's what some false teachers were postulating. They were saying, well, you know, we're, we're alive and when the rapture happens, if they died before the rapture happens, well, then they just missed out and of course they were concerned and Paul writes this letter to encourage them no don't worry those of us who are still alive will be caught up in the air to meet those who have gone with the Lord before us so what he's saying is that those who are already dead are in the presence of the Lord the King James uses a a difficult word Uh, those of us who uh, are alive will certainly not prevent the the, the old English word meant to precede those who have already gone to be with the Lord. So to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. They're with him already, and Paul was trying to encourage him. No, they didn't miss the rapture at all. They're with him now, so they got there first. But when we get caught up, we'll meet them in the air. That means Jesus, when he comes for his church, now remember, he's not coming back to earth for the rapture. He's going to call us up to be with him and the rest of his church. And those who have gone before us will already be there with him. So, uh, Michael, that's all he's talking about. We who are still alive, it's Paul saying, I expect to be alive when Jesus returns for his church. Um, The other question you ask, uh, Michael, am I right to understand that we will be taken to heaven when the rapture happens and before any death or judgment happens? um, Then we will be watching what happens to those left here, or will we be watching? Uh, We will be taken to heaven. Uh, before the great tribulation begins, it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. As, as we learned just this past Sunday here in in, in uh, the San Antonio area, bad things happen. But that's not the great tribulation. The great tribulation will not begin until we're with the Lord. The rapture of the church will happen. The man that we know as Antichrist will emerge. That's why we who are believers won't know his identity. This man will emerge, he will make a covenant with Israel, and at the signing of that covenant 7 years remains on earth. Now, we won't be watching happen. We won't be watching what happens to those who are left here. Heaven is a place of joy, heaven is a place of peace. So no, we're not going to go to heaven and kind of look out over the edge of time and space and see all the tragedy that's going on here, Michael. So um, just keep keep reading your Bible, and the way you learn this stuff is to keep digging and keep reading and keep asking the questions uh, so you keep seeking knowledge and understanding. The Lord is pleased, Michael. Thank you very, very much. I hope that helps. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I didn't expect much of my phone calls today, but I would still love them because you're more interesting than me. But uh, a holiday, you never know how many or if anybody, if anybody's actually listening and people have other things to do on a holidays, uh, days that we observe as holidays. Here's a question from our mobile app from Jim. Uh, Pastor Ron, what does a family devotion look like for a family with children younger than eight years old uh, as well as husband and wife devotion together. Thank you for Calvary Chapel and the many blessings it brings to our city, Jim. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate uh, the kind the kind words. Um, family devotions are interesting. You know, I'm not gifted to teach kids. Uh, we do devotions, uh, chapel devotions, Paul and I, um, once or twice a year uh, here for our school. And I, I always kind of hold my breath to find out, am I talking to the older kids? Please let me be talking to the older kids because I'm not fun. I'm not funny. I'm not particularly interesting. Paula, when she gets the younger kids, she has them rolling in the aisles. It's such a blast to, to, to listen to. Uh, so, so I say that because um, well, if you get children younger than eight, you've got to reach them where they are. It's not sitting down, giving them a notepad, telling them, take notes while you do a Bible study. Uh, I would think with children under eight, it's more like telling them the stories of the Bible, Uh, reading it to them, but telling them the stories of the Bible, giving them the principles and putting it in a way that, that not only will they understand, but in a way that's entertaining for them just for a little bit. You know, you don't want family devotions to be like going to the dentist and refusing Novocaine. So um, count on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you know he wants you to do and put it in a way. But just do it, Jim. Just do it. Now, one of the things that that these family devotions look like, um, they, they have to be consistent. It can't be hit or miss. Now, nothing has to be every day. God understands things happen. But there needs to be far more days where they happen as scheduled than not. So really fight hard against the interruptions. Uh, Fight hard against the the resistance. Um, But but start out in the mornings. Uh, Go into your children's room or do it around the breakfast table. If you have to get up earlier to do it before you go to work, then do it because you're responsible to, to raise those children up. Um, in the ways of the Lord. So just do it every day. Your children, Jim, and this is important, your children ought to know what Daddy's favorite book is. If I would ask your kids, what's Daddy's favorite book? They ought to be able to say, oh, that's easy, it's the Bible. And the only way they're going to know that is if you're involved. So do it, do it consistently, do it faithfully, count on the Spirit of the Lord. Also do it systematically. Uh, you can tell them the stories of the Bible, but it's much more uh, uh, effective when you're, you're, you're reading systematically through the Bible. You know, again, it's not a Bible study. It's a devotion. Devotions are designed to encourage and to exhort. So encourage and exhort your kids. Open uh, the, the floor for questions. Let them know that you can ask, they can ask you anything about the Bible study. And what will happen, you'll, you'll develop into a rhythm. Um, with regard to a husband and wife devotion together, I don't like the word devotion, uh, especially when it comes to adults, because uh, it, it, it sort of makes us think of something short and snappy. Uh, what a husband and wife ought to be doing together is reading the Bible, reading it and talking about it. Um, you've got your own personal reading gem, but in addition to that, you and your wife ought to have the same reading going on all the time Um, in the mornings or in the evenings whatever works for your schedule Uh, you read a chapter out loud then give her the Bible let her read it back to you out loud and after you do that talk about it let the Lord open your hearts the supernatural word of God living and active will do heart surgery it will knit your hearts together in this marriage like nothing else can I know that only because Paul and I have experienced that in our own walk Because I can't see, she reads to me. And it means that we're in the same place. Then you go to work, come home at night before you go to bed, talk about it again. Has God been showing you anything? In addition, of course, have your own reading. But spend some time, it doesn't have to be major amounts of time, but you read a chapter, let it read it back to you. Repetition is important as well. And you'll see how God will use that to knit your hearts together. Hope that helps, Jim. Thanks a lot. Hey, we got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We will be back in two minutes.
1: To the word to stand on for life, we're taking your calls at three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six thirty KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half, the last half of our program this week. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. The phone's been quiet, but we kind of expected that. But remember, you're more interesting than me, so we'd love your calls. Here's a question from our mobile app from John. Uh, John asks, when you explain to someone that women are not to be pastors, based on what Paul tells us in, in Timothy, um, and then he or she throws out, well, what about Deborah at you? Now, obviously, Deborah was not a pastor, but just the whole idea of a female being the leader and or spiritual leader of Israel wasn't sure how to respond to that. John, when people want to do what they want to do instead of what God wants to do, they'll find any excuse. You know, one of the things that Jesus criticized the religious leaders for repeatedly is that they were supposed to be experts in the law, but they were only experts in trying to find loopholes in the law. Now we don't, we know there were no loopholes, but that's not the way they saw it, so they were always creating little ways around to do the things they wanted to do, and Jesus would call them hypocrites. You know, you strain out little gnats but swallow camels, he said. Well. Uh, When we get answers like this, what about Deborah? Um, They've just made your point, and you you made it in your question. Deborah was not a pastor. So what does being a pastor have to do with a judge in Israel? Now, there's something else that's significant about Deborah. Deborah was a reluctant leader. Remember, Israel, during the time of the judges, was a time that is not exemplary by any stretch of the imagination. was a time characterized by men and women doing what seemed right to them and the men acquiesced the leadership god chose deborah because the men wouldn't stand up deborah even tried to get a man to take it okay well then if you won't do this then uh, the glory will go to a woman instead that's exactly what happened so deborah wasn't a pastor and there's no connection whatsoever and I would respond with, what is it about I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church? What is it about that that you don't understand? So it shows a lack of understanding, but more than that, it just shows negligence. People don't really care. They want to do what they want to do. So thank you very, very much. Let's go to Michael calling from San Antonio. Michael, thanks for calling. You bailed me out. You're on the air.
3: Hey, Pastor right, how are you?
2: good thank you
3: yes sir uh, good to talk to you I uh, glad you and Paula got back safe from your trip there to California so um, thank I you. yes sir I had a question about because you actually just read my email that I had sent about um, the rapture oh, okay. and all mm-hmm. that <laughs> but you know because recently I've been reading and it, it's piqued my interest about rapture and, and tribulation and my question is what, because, you know, I read the Tribulation Force, the Left Behind books, and my question is, what is the age of accountability, like when that happens? Is there a certain age, is there a cutoff that... Are cut off that People will be taken up, and you know me personally. We've spoken before, so you know that Mm -hmm. my worry and my concern is that my 8-year-old that's been raised as a witness, I kind of get concerned about that. So I think that's, um, if if that was to happen, you know, coming, and I just wanted to see if, because to me it's not her choice to be raised that way. She was brought up forcefully in my opinion that way so i just want to yep. kind of just get your opinion and take on that and uh i'll take your answer off the air oh and also just uh, just an fyi i sent another actual email pretty much the same question so you can disregard it
2: <laughs> okay oh, thank you michael thank you appreciate, appreciate, it, appreciate you. Very have very a well. great weekend sir yeah okay thank you hey two things first uh um, don't get your theology from the left behind books uh they're entertaining um, and uh, uh, because they're telling a story, it's a little easier, perhaps, to read. But but um, uh, let me suggest a couple um, uh, people to read: John Walford, Walvoord, W A L V O O R D. He has a lot of really good stuff on on Revelation and on the end times and on the pre-trib rapture of the church. He is really, really solid. Uh, and he would be a good one. It's not too difficult of reading either, Michael. For somebody who's fairly new in their faith, it's something that you would be able to follow. And and he gives a lot of great explanations. Uh, there are others, but let's start with that one. Um, re- regarding about the age of accountability, um, probably an eight-year-old who's been forced to grow up uh, under a cult is certainly not accountable. Um, you know, God, there there's no static age of accountability. Uh, there's, there's um, um, no way of knowing. I, I've known four-year-olds who were completely confident in their salvation. Lord knew why they needed to repent, knew that they needed to be saved, and walked with God for a long, long time. But I've also known twelve-year-olds and fifteen-year-olds who, with diminished capacity, who didn't know. So here's what we can trust: we can, we can rest in the perfect justice of God, who knows all things, and He knows the heart. So I'm really confident that your daughter, if the rapture happened today, uh, you and your daughter would be in the air together. Um, uh, And you can rest in that. God does what is fair. That's what Abraham said. Will not the God of all the earth do what is righteous and just? Uh, That was in his conversation with with Jesus concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. So um, surely that is something that we can depend on. So uh, your eight-year-old Um, You need to pray for her because she's going to grow up. And the the more indoctrinated she gets, the harder it's going to be. But um, um, just pray, pray, pray for the Lord to protect her heart and to protect her mind. Uh, You live your life, Michael, in such a way that she can see that there's something different about the faith that you have chosen. And the lies that she's been told, Michael. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to San Antonio again. Talk with Rose on line two. Rose, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
4: Ah well, I appreciate this radio station and this uh, this your your talk show. I just love it. And we've been doing uh, Daniel. And, you know, a lady in our Bible study said, oh, let's do Daniel. So, you know, we all work, so it's really been kind of challenging. But I have some questions, and one of them is where was Daniel when they uh, Shadrach and Meshach went into the, lion, the, the fiery furnace because they took the stand against not bowing to yeah. Nebuchadnezzar? And um, another question is those prophecies in like 6 and 7, and I think, a, you know, those first three right after that lion's den mm-hmm. experience, do they enter, are they like different parts of the same chain of events, like, you know, the future and the past? And because sometimes you can see the Greek empire in there, and then other times it kind of comes back, like in Chapter 10, where it says he's got to battle this, this prince and then the prince of Greece. And so I didn't know if that was kind of alluding to the previous vision. And then the third one is the angel that's in chapter 10. Is that, um, do all angels, I don't believe that was Christ, although it really is kind of similar to the Revelation, mm-hmm. um, description of Christ. But do all angels kind of like have some of those same, the fiery eyes and the, you know, the, the bronze, um, Parts, of what they got. I, I don't know. I'm getting confused now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But is that, is yeah. that how angels always kind of appear? Because he doesn't have a name, that angel, in that chapter 10. So those were yep. kind of some of the questions we've been looking at. I really appreciate okay. your input, and um, I really love this, this, this uh, program. It's really good. Thank I tell you. all my friends about it.
2: I appreciate <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Rose. Minute, yeah. I appreciate okay, it. Me, thank you. Me, okay, thank you. Uh, what a blessing. Uh, Rose, a couple of things. Um, uh we have all kinds of stuff for free. Uh not only my teachings uh on audio, uh I don't know if I have any video stuff and it's better it's always better listening to me without having to look at me. So but but all the teachings on audio uh throughout the whole book of Daniel, uh and since it's one of my favorite books um, uh, we've taught it a couple of times, uh, and, and I get really, really excited and passionate about it. So, um, you go to com, and you can get, um, uh, those teachings. Now, not everybody has time to sit down and listen to 45 minutes or 50 minutes worth of teaching. Um, but so also we've put all of my notes um, I, I've actually been encouraged to take the, the notes in the book of Daniel, write a book about Daniel, and I, I just don't have the time to do that. But all of my notes are there in detail. So uh, Daniel, especially because it's so exacting in terms of the prophecies, the the the, the pra- prophetic value of the, the book of Daniel is overwhelming for New Testament Christians. So all of my notes are there. Uh, and, and you have free access to them. They don't cost you anything. Uh, and as you're looking at a particular chapter, it might help to have those notes sort of sitting beside you. Uh, so all of that's available for free at calvarysa.com. Uh, and I think our website is fairly easy to navigate. I'm not a techie, and I can get make my way through it. So uh, I hope that helps. Um, with regard to your questions, uh, I'll take them in order. Where was Daniel... In, 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 in chapter three of his book, uh, Daniel is conspicuous by his absence, isn't he? I think that's really, really good. Now, here's what's important. Daniel would be taken from Jerusalem in the first exile to Babylon when God was judging his people. Uh, Daniel was a young boy at the time, probably no older than um, 11 or 12 years of age. Uh, And he would never again go back to Israel. He would live his entire life. He lived uh, to be somewhere around 90 or 95 years of age, completely blessed by God in spite of all the difficulties. But he would spend the rest of his life uh, in exile in Babylon. Now, what's important about that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who took a public stand for Jesus, they were thrown into the fire. Daniel, because of his absence, is a picture uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are, are a picture of Israel going through the Great Tribulation. Certainly a furnace turned up seven times hotter than normal is a Great Tribulation for them. But they survived. They were kept alive by Jesus. So they're a picture of the people of Israel who will be preserved through the Great Tribulation. Daniel in his absence. Remember, Daniel's called Daniel the Beloved. Daniel the Righteous One. And Daniel's a picture of the church being absent during the great tribulation. So that's why Daniel's not there. That's why all of a sudden the book that bears his name, there's no mention of Daniel uh, because God is using his absence to paint a very specific picture. Great pickup, by the way. Um, with regard to the prophecies uh, through the chapters, and I'll add a couple chapters at the end, 11 and 12, uh, th- these chapters tell um, the, the prophecy of every nation uh, within a thousand miles of Israel. Every nation with such accuracy that it's frightening. Uh, but there's no chronology in those prophecies. So you're exactly right. You'll talk about Greece early in the chapters, uh, all of the four empires of the world up to the time Daniel lived. Um, the... the uh, um, Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans were all foretold uh, in that prophecy. But but the prophecies then get more explanation and more detail. But there's no chronology at all. That's why my notes would help you in that instance. But um, they're, they're just telling different stories about different people groups. But it's, it's really for the, 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 the pictures of the statue. Um, the 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 uh, four kingdoms that had been in place prior to um, uh, Daniel's being raptured, battle on the last, Medo, the Medes and the Persians, and the next to last, um, uh, the the Roman Empire to come in the future is also given. Um, uh, is also prophesied about as well. So uh, don't worry about the chronology. Now, with regard to the angel, you're right, the angel in chapter 10 is not Jesus. Uh, But this is a frighteningly powerful angel. That's why Daniel fell down as though dead. He's a frighteningly powerful angel. I think we get this picture of little cuddly angels floating around on on clouds. Uh, That's nothing at all consistent with what they really are. Whenever you see uh, one of our Bible characters uh, in the presence of an angel, they fall down in horror, the, the utter holiness of these angels. And this was a very special angel because this is an angel who delivered the answers to Daniel's prayers in chapter 9 after that horrifying vision of the end of the world. And we're, we're, we're also given a, a peek into the the background of, of the spiritual warfare because in the heavenlies there was a war. The, 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 the Satan himself tried to withhold the answer that was sent from heaven, and he, the angel uh, uh, couldn't get through on his own, so God sent Michael, the archangel, who is Israel's protector, to make sure it, Michael, the archangel, and Lucifer, uh, the fallen angel we call the devil, they're equal counterparts. And it was Michael who enabled the answer to get through. It took 10 days, but Michael is the one who got the victory And this angel was then able to go into the presence of Daniel and deliver the message. So it wasn't Jesus. This was a very powerful angel. There are different categories of angels, different power levels of angels. Uh, But this was a very, very powerful angel, yet still uh, not as powerful as Satan. Uh, That's why Daniel had to be dispatched. Great questions, Rose. And I hope the notes help you out. 340-9585. Three four Let's go to San Antonio again for Leah. And I think I know this, Leah. Welcome to the show.
5: Hey, Pastor Ron. It's your favorite producer calling.
2: <laughs> well, I see you, but you're not in studio, so...
5: <laughs> no, I had to leave early today because Trey got... I got a call from my son's daycare saying he's got a fever, so we had to leave early oh. and pick him up. So he got... Yeah, so say a prayer for Trey. But I'm calling because... Um, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you on this one. I'm struggling a lot with with some of what happened over the weekend. And um, I think I have i wasn't feeling bad about this at first, but I'm starting to feel convicted about these feelings that I have towards the person who committed these these acts. And I'm just, I'm really struggling with, um, I don't know, for lack of a better way to put this, I, I said this the other day. I was like, I really hope he suffered. I really hope he suffered on his way out. And, and it's just, I I, I love God, I love His people, I I love, you know, the way He tells me to, the way God's Word tells us to, but I'm really, really having a hard time with the idea of of just what happened, and and then God kind of spoke to my spirit and said, like, hey, you, what if He called out to me, you don't know, you know, what if in in those last few minutes He said, hey, take me, you know, I'm sorry, forgive me, and take me, what if He had a moment, you know, what would you do if you saw Him in heaven? So a lot of things going through my mind <laughs> and and just kind of my emotions. I know what God's word says about forgiveness and all that stuff, yeah. but I'm really having a hard time, uh, yeah. um, you know, processing and feeling feeling forgiveness yeah. for, for this individual. So yeah. anyway, just, just wanted to be honest about some stuff Thank there you. and see what you said.
2: Thank you, Leah. I can help, I think, uh, and I appreciate you being honest uh, and vulnerable because... Um, there's the same questions are going through the hearts and the minds of lots and lots and lots of people. I think we have to make a distinction between hating evil and hating the person who does the evil. Uh, it would be so easy to be bitter. Now, something else that's important for you to understand, and again, I know you know these things, but um, feelings, um, um, th- 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 these these conflicting emotions... In uh, many times, uh, they come from an enemy who wants to destroy you. Uh, the enemy knows your heart. He knows that you love God's people. If he can trip you up by making you angry or making you hateful towards somebody, well, he's going to plant that seed and he's going to do everything that he can to to sort of withdraw, make these withdrawals to attack you uh, in the in the days and the weeks and even the months and years to come. So that's why fighting these things, understanding these things, are really, really important. Now, I can promise you a couple of things. Um, one, this man is being tormented now. He is in um, hell, not, not in the great white throne judgment yet, not in the lake of fire, but he is in the place described in Luke chapter 16 as a place of torment. Uh, uh, the rich man who is in this, this, this torment uh, said, it's so hot, just cool, my tongue down, I'm in torment in this fire. It's not a literal fire, but but, but the, the, the man who did this thing, um, this grievous, heinous act, is suffering forever. The fact that he killed himself would be an indication, Leah, that you're not going to see him in heaven. Uh, he is going to get the justice that he deserves. Now, the difference is, in knowing that and delighting in it, as believers, we can't delight in anybody being in torment. So here's what you do, and, and I think we can turn this into, into productive energy simply by uh, praying for his family, the people that he has disappointed and caused so much pain for, praying for the, the families of those who are now in heaven with Jesus. Um, and I think we have to have a realistic view of heaven um, there's there's no darkness that's ever going to enter there. So the idea that if you see somebody in heaven who you didn't expect to see there, you're going to be offended and upset uh, isn't true because there's going to be no more wickedness. There's a completely new order of things. And there's no darkness. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's nothing but uh, unbridled ecstasy, un, uh, unbridled joy in heaven. and And we can thank God that he's reserved that for those who love him, We can also thank him that there is justice that's going to be poured out, a divine justice that's going to be poured out on those who reject him. And surely this this young man, as tormented as he was, uh, is is this this evil that he's done. We don't know what his life was like. We don't know what made him the way that that he was. But what we know for sure is that God will even the scales. Those who did harm to his, Paul writes to the churches in Thessalonica, will be repaid for the evil that they did. And God's justice has to be good enough for us. And um, frankly, the, the man who did this evil act doesn't deserve one more minute of your brain or your heart space. So he's been judged by God already. He is in torment. And now we turn Uh, our our affections, we turn our energies to those who are left behind and who are hurting and I think God will use that heart. One other thing Leah that's really important for people like you and I live with one who's just like you in this regard uh, we can't ever be off guard because we always have to protect our heart Paul always says hands down, heart open we always have to be um, vulnerable It's in these tough situations that we've got to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. It's a proverb that everybody knows, but so few practice. It's one of those things where when the enemy brings those feelings back to you, you understand that he's the source and the only way to respond to those attacks, those lies that come from from the pit of hell, really, is to, to snuggle up close in the presence of our Jesus. So instead of struggling with it, understand that that's what the enemy wants you to do. And you're going to turn that into something positive by praying. Here's what I can promise you will happen. If every time those thoughts come rushing into your head, you'll pray for that man's family. If you'll pray for uh, the, 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 the unbelievable guilt that his ex-wife and his ex-mother-in-law uh, are, are, are dealing with, the, 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 the children that, are going to be, that bear his name. If you'll pray for them, if every time the enemy brings these lies to you, um, you you start praying for the families of those uh, who were taken in this tragedy, um, pretty soon the enemy is going to stop bringing those things to you because he doesn't want you praying for people. And as you pray for those who are living, and that's all that matters, we're praying for those who are alive, um, your heart will be freed from this burden. What you're experiencing is natural, it's normal. We live in a linear world where we want justice. Um, but you know, what he did, as horrible as it was, was not unforgivable. It just was too late. If he really was touched in that last moment of life, he wouldn't have taken his own life. So you won't see him in heaven, no problems at all. Leah, thank you for your honesty. That's the kind of thing, Leah, that... that um, so many are struggling with even now. We who live in this world, a world that has rejected God, we need to expect things like this are going to happen more and more. Stay close to Jesus. Guard your heart. Pray for those you see doing evil while they're still alive so they don't suffer eternal torment. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange work to God. It breaks His heart too. But you know what? It makes him angry as well. So you're normal. I hope I gave you some tools to fight. Now, go back to work so you're back on the show on, on Monday. <laughs> oh. Thanks, Pastor Ron. <laughs> my and, and by the way, my other favorite producer here wants me to tell you hello. <laughs> Hi, Sam. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much, Pastor Ron. We love uh-huh. you so much. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. I miss her. She's been really, really busy, so she's had other things that she had to do. Well, we're inside one minute already, so we don't have time for any other questions. But I appreciate the calls in the second half of the program. Uh, And I really appreciate your faithful listening, the nice things that you say. Uh, It is an honor to serve the Lord by serving this delightful radio audience. Remember, go to church on Sunday and hug somebody, love somebody, listen to somebody who's hurting. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday, Lord willing, on this radio station. God bless. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.